I thought you were dead. Sun out of your eyes and be yourself. Heard you were dead. She's dead, wrapped in plastic. That man's dead back then. It was worse than dead. He must be dead. Is this a dead man, Ducky? Dude, things were different. Oh, update. Somebody uh, was talking about uh, the Fox sisters, and they were like, they were just clarifying that Hydesville, New York, is near Newark, uh, New York, I guess. Jersey. And yeah, Newark is like in between like Rochester and Syracuse, kind of. Mm-hmm. Um, and the creator of Cat Dog oh. is from Newark. No way. Oh, explains so everything. the ghost, yeah, the ghost of the Fox sisters. Probably had to do with Cat Dog. Yeah. Well, that's why the show is awesome. Cat Dog ruled. You know who's doing the knocking there? Winslow. (laughs) What up, Cat Dog? (laughs) Give me them apples. I'll knock all over this house. Cat Dog only has front paws that they could have done the knocking. Like the rapping. Could they have done it? Oh, yeah. They probably don't. They don't have toes. They only have hand feet. Yeah. They're all just. It's just a joint. You know, it's not double jointed. (laughs) They are just a joint. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> it probably make all kinds of weird sounds. Do you guys see the uh, the Green Ranger died? Yeah, that was terrible. Yeah, yeah. I, I loved him. He was badass. Yeah. I did cool not hair. ever see the picture of him as an MMA fighter until he died today. Uh, yeah, I didn't see it either. Oh, I was yeah. like, whoa, damn, jacked, lots really? of tats. Oh, yeah. that's cool. Yeah, I like did. Uh, did uh, what was the what was the name of the the annoying old lady villain on that uh, show? Fuck. She oh, the crazy El- Elsinore? Or no? Yeah, or something like that. Eleanor, did she get him? Is that how he died? No, he killed himself. Oh. <laughs> so, yes. Yeah, yeah oh. sorry. So, yes. She put bad thoughts into his head. She, yeah. 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 she gaslighted him. Couldn't stop thinking about her. Yeah, he was mighty <laughs> mighty morphing into heaven. <laughs> so oh, saggy. No. Oh, I miss her. All right, um, all right what's the, the bit? Uh, what's... Start the show. Yeah. Let's start uh, the show. Yeah. Let's Welcome start. to Rose Mortem. You belong here. My name is Tom. In honor of Green Ranger, here's my Travis flute. <laughs> nice. I'm Mike. I'm Connor. You guys are all starting the show with me tonight. Let's start it. Good. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So uh, we, we got a long one, right? It's going to be a moderate. Well, long in terms of oh, like parts. Yes. yes. We don't know. Indeterminate when this one will end. Kind of like a Richard Burton in between an Alex and a Richard. That's nice. where... We're gonna Alex and right. Rich. Yeah. Right. So commit to this. Yeah. I'm committed. Uh, how was your week, guys? Mike, how was your week? I haven't seen you. That's right. Just, uh, you know, doing the usual. Yeah. So, uh, I found a Rhino 69 package today. And, uh, like, it was used. And I, I, I think that's like, I like seeing those in the wild. I think it's hilarious. It is fun. Yeah. It's always, oh, always, always like, a good time. It's like a gem. You're like, oh, look at that little, little day gem right there. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I saw used one, like, con, uh, like blowing pill. down the street, like, uh, like a, one of those tumbleweeds. Yeah. 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 The other day. It's like, oh, look, it's like a, it's like a, it's like a little, brightens your day a little bit. A man increased <laughs> his performance on this spot. Yeah. Probably at a blood clot. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It was really yeah. weird, too. I was like, this is a really nice house. Like, when I was in front of <laughs> This is bizarre. It's probably like the teenage son. Yeah, maybe. He's yeah. Home really night. horny on a Sunday morning. He's yeah. like, oh, got a jack. <laughs> I don't remember ever needing something like that when I was a teenager. I never heard of anyone that used one of those. I haven't either. I think it's... Uh, I would try one. When I'm 
Like, give me, old, give me 10 old, years, yeah. and they'll be like, you know what? Yeah, let me fire this back some dick rhinos. Is now I remember it. <laughs> <laughs> I think, uh, well, I think there it's like a single use. Once you take the yeah. Rhino 69, your dick doesn't work after that unless you <laughs> yeah, take more Rhino sword. Oh, oh, no. <laughs> That's not good. That's when you're on your yeah. deathbed. You're like, all right, give me the Rhino 69. Yeah. Yeah. It'll, it. it'll kick me back into life. Exactly. Yeah. Go to the Lear's gas station. Or fuck station. it. I, I was going to die right after. <laughs> or bathroom bar. <laughs> yeah, or like the ones you see, like you can't uh, like understand like the language. I'm like, oh, man. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Those I saw like, it's just says Tiger, roll. and then it's all these Asian characters. <laughs> Di- that's a, yeah, a dice yeah. roll right there. I, I forgot the name of it, but I saw one that had like a fake Goku on it. And it was just like... Yeah, I've seen that. <laughs> Go Super Saiyan. Super Saiyan. Yeah. <laughs> That's beautiful. So good that stuff. was a good week. Yeah, it was only a bright yeah. one day. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Connor, how's your week going? I got another weird injury. Stepped oh, on no. a broken Christmas light right through my foot. Ooh, tis oh, tis the season. Yeah. Well, St. Nick tickled you. Yeah. yeah, real fun, real fun. Uh, that's all. <laughs> that's a real Griswold moment for yeah. you. So you had to, so you had now, to pick that boy around. out? Yeah, it was like the one of those little lights, and it was like broken in half. Ugh. Um, Ugh. Because like you'd see the bottom was like the rounded part, and then the top half had like broken off, I guess, and I just stepped right on it and went right through. Sock is covered in blood. It's all right. I'll be all right. You'll be fine. Yeah. Hopefully, That's my common, eye is man. healed, so now my foot is injured. So Dude, next is going to be like my hip. I if guess. those both got very extreme, you could have been a pirate <laughs> oh, in a man. matter of two weeks. I was saying, Connor, you should have immediately had some onion soup to see if it was anything serious. If you could smell the onion soup seeping <laughs> through your foot, <laughs> yeah, that means then I know that, I'm in trouble. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that was all. Just you know, another weird injury for me. How about you, Travis? How was your week? Uh, my week was good. I'm still kind of recovering from this cold I got. Oh, swine? Uh, yeah, swine flu. I went back to like 2004 and I was like, hey, I don't want any of this COVID nonsense. I don't want like avian bird flu. Swine flu. Yeah. Give me a cool OG pig shit. disease. <laughs> yeah. Have you, have you ever met anyone with swine flu? No. But there was like a town over. There's like reports of it when I was like in eighth grade or something like that. Yeah. I feel like Lizzie knows someone who had swine flu. I feel like our friend Vanessa might have had swine, swine flu. I forgot who it was. I think my buddy, I want to say my buddy Ray. Maybe it wasn't Ray, but either way, someone was working production for like Fuse TV or something over in Times Square. And um, they had like Ron Weasley as a guest, that guy. <laughs> and he had swine flu, but they <laughs> still like booked him. And it was like, he like had to be in this room with the guy and was just like, you need anything? Like as a PA, and yeah. it's just like, no, just stay away from me. I have post. swine flu. <laughs> Ron Weasley being really nice about his swine flu. Wow, I guess. Yeah, yeah. So I'm, I'm just doing that. I've been playing more Modern Warfare. Nothing really new. Sweet. <laughs> yeah, cool. recovering. That sounds awesome. Uh, what about you, but- Tom? I got, dude. Who cares? <laughs> Who fucking cares? Didn't have a highlight of your week? There wasn't like a cherry on top. Uh, I mean, it's all just regular now. It all just blends in. I'm not excited by anything anymore. Uh, there's nothing that brings me joy. There's no food or drink that makes me happy. Uh, liquor does, but it's not the taste of it or the sensation of drinking. It's the after effect, which I think we all appreciate. Wait, but... so you look forward to the hangovers? That's I love a good hangover now. Uh, okay. All I right. love them. Yeah. I was hungover this morning. There was a guy with a leaf blower outside. Very nice man. Too early. Yeah, it's a good excuse <laughs> to be 
crotchety. Yeah. Like, dude, yeah. usually okay. I like you, but not today. <laughs> Fuck off. <laughs> Other than that, no, I have nothing to report, dude. My private life and my public life are all very tiny. Mm. And, uh, you know, I'm not going to kill myself, so good. don't worry. Good. <laughs> that was going to be a follow-up, so. Yeah, yeah, no. All good. <laughs> Green Ranger flute. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Shout out to the Green Ranger. Yeah, it was dedicated to him this episode. Shout out Tommy. Yeah. That was his yeah. name, right? I yeah. remember seeing that just an hour before you guys came over. I was like, lucky. Dude, it's kind of crazy how Tommy Pickles is dead now. I mean, he's such a baby when he was first on TV. Yeah. God. God, what a baby. No more rugs getting ratted. Yeah. Yeah. But Connor, we're going going to a new boy. We got a big new boy. Big new boy. Yeah. I actually don't know how big he was. I'd love to find his dimensions. I'll find out. Yeah. You could tell me anything. I wouldn't really be shocked. (laughs) Actually, if you told me he was six four or above, then I'd be surprised. But anything else in this is possible. What about if he was like three two? Wouldn't shock me. Wouldn't shock. Oh, okay. Yeah, be like, all right, makes sense. Kind of tracks. All right. Uh, So this mystery sized man that we're going to be talking about for the next indeterminate amount of weeks is none other than Sir Douglas Haig, the British World War One commander. So I'm actually going to start at the end. <clears throat> we'll do a little differently. Oh, are you like a modern series on television? Yeah, that's where what they, I'm doing. A modern crime documentary where they show you the very the end? The final scene, and then and we they cut. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah so I, when Haig dies, because a big part of this whole story is going to be how much do we blame Haig for what happens, and how much is he just like caught up in the moment? So when Haig dies in the 1928... Britain has a national day of mourning. There's huge crowds that come out to see his burial um, and, like, his procession. Everyone loves him. He's hailed as, like, the hero that won the war. And within, like, five years, that completely flips on its head. And everyone from, like, 1930 up until, like, the 80s calls him the Butcher of the Somme and says that he is one of the men most responsible for getting millions and millions of his own troops killed. Oh, wow. That That's... started to change lately. But it still permeates the zeitgeist, I guess. I know we're talking about humans and butchery, and that's kind of gross, but like whenever I hear butcher, it makes me happy. It doesn't make me Yeah, my mouth waters a little bit. Yeah. Ooh, you got prosciutto? (laughs) I want to be the the butcher of uh, podcasts. (laughs) We don't talk about meat. You want to stop talking about history after this series and And just just do meat? Just meats. I mean, I know more about meat. To be fair, it excites all of us more yeah, than yeah. I do any of this history <laughs> shit. <laughs> Mortadello. All right, so we'll do roast meatums after this. Yeah, <laughs> good. So that's that's Haig's history after he's dead. Is this hailed as a hero immediately, and then subsequently sees his reputation thrown into the gutter. Um, so Plutarch, writing in the first century A.D., attributed the following quote to an Athenian general. It's going to be kind of the theme of the, these episodes. Quote, an army of deer commanded by a lion is more to be feared than an army of lions commanded by a deer. This phrase is what would come to be termed uh, lions led by donkeys. I don't know if you've ever heard that phrase before. Travis, I think you've talked, we've talked about that. Oh, yeah. There's an excellent uh, show called Lions Led by Donkeys. <laughs> yeah. So that's yeah, what yeah, the... Check f- them out. <laughs> it's all about the British infantry of World War One, where like the individual soldier is brave and he's led by a fucking idiot. Whoa. And that idiot is Haig most oh, of the time. Oh. 
Um, uh, but also, can I? Can we like talk about that for a second? Um, yeah. That's a really dumb analogy. Lions and deers. Yeah. <laughs> like no, I mean, even if the lion is led by deers, what are deers going to do? They can walk over you, like eat your garbage and shit, eat eggs that you throw at them. Yeah. Well, they're going to jump in front of your car. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. They're going yeah, to yeah. kill you. Yeah. They're going to pop out right in front of your Civic Sport. Uh, yeah. You least expect. Their their dying wailing screams are going to haunt your ears for years. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> That's all. Imagine yeah. an army of that. I can't even look at a deer anymore without looking down. With, all right. <laughs> guilt. <laughs> so much guilt. Yeah. All right. So I'm, before we jump into the Hague story, I'm going to leave you with one last quote written by historian John Keegan, who he's going through all the different generals of World War One, talking about like the various qualities they all had. And this is what he had to say about Douglas Haig. Quote, Haig, in whose public manner and private diaries no concern for human suffering was or is discernible, compensated for his aloofness with nothing whatsoever of the common touch. He seemed to move through the horrors of the First World War as if guided by some inner voice, speaking of a higher purpose and a personal destiny. Oh, God. Is that so schizophrenia? It's more like psychopathy, where it's just like gliding through all the horrors without even noticing... That it's horrible. Hopefully he's got the blinders on. Yeah, yeah baby. Blinders on. Maybe he doesn't see blood. Well, he Color doesn't. He's in a chateau. We're going to get to okay, that. But sorry. he's in a chateau I'm the whole time. <clears throat> yeah, he put on the uh, that mode on World War One. They had the setting, like, no blood mode. <laughs> yeah, he put on, like, the family-friendly yeah. mode. Yeah. yeah. So that's Hake. That's who we're going to be talking about. So let's figure out if this uh, criticism is warranted or not. So Douglas was born June 19th, 1861 in Edinburgh, Scotland. He is the youngest of 11 children born to John and Rachel Haig. His father was the owner and proprietor of the Haig Distillery at Cameron Bridge in Fife, Scotland, which was one of the first distilleries to produce grain whiskey back in the 1600s. So okay. this is a long family dynasty Damn. of brewing whiskey. A good family. You a know, drinking family. <laughs> If he never did anything except continue on that family line, we'd never talk about him, and everyone who did know him would love him. But instead, he did not. Hey, have yeah. you ever had a, a sip of that Hague's whiskey? Or rather, it's a scotch in Scotland. Correct? I guess, yeah. I yeah. guess it's technically a scotch, yeah. yeah so you're... Uh, like, imagine, you know when people have no idea... Because like, I don't know whiskey, but I know when someone else is lying about whiskey. Mm -hmm. Like, your dad knows whiskey. Yeah. Um, I do not know whiskey. Yeah, I know you don't. <laughs> but, like, when someone talks about it, there's just like... You just you you're drinking nail polish right now. You yeah. this. You're, you're being tortured. You can't actually enjoy the taste of it. Yeah. yeah. Look at your face. You're like, oh yeah, it's okay. It's got a rose. Oh, it's like, oh, it's like so drinking good. wood. It's just like, <laughs> yeah, it tastes like sharp shit. It's <laughs> yeah. So you're also you're also saying his name is Haig, but since he's Scottish, we're like Haig, Haig. Yeah, I don't know. Probably something Hig. like that. Hig. It's pronounced like egg. It's like egg. Hig. Egg. I'm from the egg family. <laughs> <laughs> Try my whiskey. I'm from egg. Shut up, donkey. <laughs> Do your Shrek impression. Best you can. Yeah, so the, the Haig family had been uh, brewing whiskey since 1627. And by the time Douglas is born, his dad, John, is raking in 10,000 pounds a year. Which today is like 1.5 million. Damn. Jeez. So they are rich. Big whiskey. Yeah. Uh, they're selling more than a million gallons of whiskey or scotch a year. Whoa. 
so as a wealthy family in the Victorian era, because uh, this is like smack dab in the middle of Victoria's reign is when he's born. Uh, the Hagues were a very conservative family, very reluctant to change. Um, they are also part of the emerging merchant class. So this is kind of when, you know, the landed gentry is starting to have to accept that, like, merchants are rich and now part of, like, the upper class. Yeah, because they did the work at the yeah. time. You know, yeah. like, the, those merchant guys, it, yeah, that, that whole aristocratic thing, like, we own properties. As soon as you get those people, like, creating yeah. economies. Yeah, like now you got, like, economy stuff. So, And also, you can't I, really compete because you've been useless your whole right. life. You learned 13 <laughs> languages, and of which it. you kind of remember. Yeah, I was also reading as Victoria went on and, like, into the 20th century, you know, the most amount of British titles handed out ever was in 1920. So, like, oh. as the 19th century went on, all these rich people were just getting random fucking titles. Yeah. Just to get, like, you know. There's more money, so there's easy, yeah. easier to buy more titles, yeah. more lords and earls than ever before. Um, so, because they're kind of in this middle ground where they're, like, fabulously wealthy but not part of, like, the aristocracy... All of the Hagues, especially Douglas, are obsessed with social status. So they are obsessed with like being perceived as like a capital G gentleman or oh. capital L lady. Um, and that means more than just having money. It also means like what school did you go to? How do you carry yourself? What connections do you have? All this stupid fucking aristocratic shit. Where do you put your napkin when you sit down to eat? How many forks do you own? Right. How yeah. many spoons do you have for soup? Different sizes, gold yeah. leaf. Exactly. Why do fancy people need all them different utensils, Mike? Tell me. No. Oh. <laughs> I'll just get like plastic forks and knives. <laughs> That's classy. Oh, That's gentlemen yeah, with the works, G. Works. Someone yeah. told me this is a little bit of a tangent. I'm sorry. Uh, but I did hear that when paper plates were like first created, that was like revolutionary. Aristocratic, I uh, think you're right. Because yeah. it was like it was like a sign of your wealth that you could just throw it away. Right, almost. exactly. Yeah. So like, aristocrat. Yeah, right now we just have so much shit. I mean, like, I would pay to have the amount of shit they had back then. Yeah. <laughs> you know, just like. Would you like <sighs> a fine china? It's made by Solo Brand. I have the red and blue versions. <laughs> I, I remember the first time I ate off a paper plate. It was my cousin's house, and they were, like, we had shit plates, but they had, um, well, it doesn't matter. Um, <laughs> I just remember, like, the just eating a hot dog or something and just throwing the plate out and going holy shit whoa <laughs> holy shit my mom isn't gonna bitch about who's doing the ditches right now get rid of the it. garbage is doing yeah. the dishes yeah. he's eating it up i'm gonna yeah. a hot dog right now yeah me too fucking <laughs> i maybe order some a ballpark frank delivered yeah some cold wieners <laughs> yeah so uh, all his life, Douglas is going to be carrying this like social paranoia with him. Basically, he strikes me as the type of guy where every time he walked into a room, he would look around and be like, immediately be able to calculate like, all right, I'm the third most important person in this room. Oh, that's awesome. Or like, I'm the most important person in this room. Or I shouldn't be in this room because they're all so far beneath me. That Wait, type of thing. I, yeah. Well, wouldn't we all have also when you're the most important, you don't want to be in that room right, long. Exactly. Either. You or you want them off. supplicating to you, and that's it. I just yeah. constantly eating your way up the food chain. Yeah. Yeah. I just imagine this being like at any tech bros party in in San Francisco. Right, like they're all just like, I, oh my god, I just got laid off from Twitter. He's a big deal. Oh yeah, like it god. almost would be better if they just had like their bank account, like plastered to their foreheads so they could immediately know who's yeah, wealthier than status. who. Yeah. yeah. That's awesome. Uh so Dougie, apparently um a hard to control kid. 
quick-tempered, uh, not the easiest to be around. Um, part of this is because he's the youngest. He's the baby of the family, so he's his mother's favorite, probably gets away with a lot of shit. Um, there's one story that's told where they're having a family portrait and everyone's just sitting there, you know, this is like when photographs took 10 minutes to occur and he's like running around being boisterous. And the only way they got him to come back the next day is they said, you're allowed to hold your favorite pistol while we take the picture. Well, that's cool. <laughs> and he's like four years old. Wow. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. There's another occasion where they're trying to cross a, like a river in their, like in the park nearby. And he's just like throwing a temper tantrum and is so bad that a man who is watching this and thinks that like the nurse is beating him up and comes <laughs> over and is like, stop beating that child. And then realizes like this kid is insane and just walks away. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. So that's Dougie. Um, which is weird though. Cause all his life, he's never known for being like quick tempered. So this is just as a kid, he's like insane, but then it just like goes away. Did you ever have a friend like that? I don't think so. A anyone here? If I did, I would stop being friends with him probably back then. Or like I, I would get weirded out after a while. I, I I was friends with a guy and he told me how much of a brat he was when he was younger. He was saying how they his family was going on a, a vacation somewhere and the dad just wanted to take like a family photo at the airport. Mm -hmm. Um just like, hey, we're going on our, our trip to Hawaii. And like the whole family was just like they're they were all crazy, insane people, just like <laughs> running around the airport and he couldn't get the kids together. And they were like in their teens. Yeah. All oh. they were not oh. little kids. And um, his stipulation to take the photo was that he wanted to get a wheelchair so he could fuck around with it. <laughs> he was like, if you give me a wheelchair from the guy, I'll, 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 I'll take, take a picture. picture. <laughs> and his dad did it. His wow. dad was just like, yeah, I'll go get the, like, here, have the wheel. And he was just doing wheelies in the terminal. Well, I was like, dude, you're a was he a mellow man. Was he a mellow guy later in life? Uh. I don't know. Okay, I like him. Hague I like apparently the guy, is like he's crazy. This is just like his childhood, whereas like as an adult, he's very even keeled, very mellow. And as we'll see, like during the most insanely intense parts of World War One, he is just like unflappable, un like does not get disturbed. All right, that's so it's cool. very weird flip from his childhood. Yeah. I mean, Maturity. there was there were some situations where I used to act up as a child. Like if you put me in a locked room with some baloney, let me oh, tell yeah. you that room would be Yo, torn crazy. apart. Yeah, <laughs> turn you an animal. Well, wouldn't it be the other way around with the baloney's on the outside? No, and you're trying to get I, out of the room. I, I got into a what I call a baloney phrase. I was dying uh, a baloney uh, craze, frenzy, yeah, craze. frenzy, a craze. Frenzy. I was diagnosed. Yeah. Whenever I see baloney, I just go wild. I start jumping off the <laughs> ceiling. I just jump off. The it's it's breaking meat, things. Though. Yeah, that's what's it. Travis's favorite kind. You like mixed. the mixed meat? I like meat where I don't even really know if it's meat. That's the thing. It's like a mystery, dog. It's good. You've always been a mystery guy. Yeah, I'm a you man like of mystery. <laughs> they were going to cast me in that movie Mystery Men with Smash Mouth. But then nice. I said then no. I <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, hold on. Is Janine uh, Garofalo going to use my balls? <laughs> <laughs> Is that the joke? Yes. Uh, that's what I want. <laughs> All right, so Douglas, uh, now he's coming out of his childhood. There's not much that I could find on his childhood because, you know, the rest of his life dominates everything else so much. Um, but like any other British teenager at this point, um, or rich British teenager, he needs to become a gentleman, and the steps to take that is education. Douglas is a terrible, terrible student. Uh, the classical education that he needed meant, like, reading and writing Greek and Latin perfectly, could not do any of that. Uh, he was also terrible at mathematics, not really good at science or anything like that. 
Um, he was good at the physical parts of the gentleman. So like, he's a great horseback rider. Uh, he loves playing polo, loves being outdoors, that type of thing. But in this classroom, not very bright. And when he's 16, away at school, not learning very much, uh, word reaches him that his father has passed away as a result of, surprise, chronic alcoholism. No. Oh, no. Yeah, no I know. A, Scot- a Scotch guy who distills whiskey for a living dying of alcoholism? Insane. He oh, loved I- his work. He loved yeah. his work. Maybe it was an accident. Maybe he just fell into the whiskey barrel. <laughs> he probably did while he was trying to, or he was like tipping a whiskey barrel over his head and yeah. it killed him. Yeah. Yeah. Trying to the family family <laughs> it's like the Joker origin story, but Scottish. Scottish. Yeah. Like it was holding it over his head and it slipped and just trapped him and no one yeah. came to the factory floor that day. Oh no, I'm having too much fun. <laughs> <laughs> am I at work or am I hanging out? <laughs> <laughs> What are you doing? Just sitting there. Yeah. Have a drink. <laughs> but were we supposed to do something? <laughs> now, there is not much evidence that anyone in the Hague family really missed John. Um, he wasn't a bad father. He just kind of absent. He was mid. Scottish Look, father. He was a mid father. Yeah. A Scottish father. Yeah. Your yeah. Scottish father in the 19th century. Yes. <laughs> if you can provide for your family... He made a lot of money. Yeah, that's he's all that doing, He's doing all that mattered. He yeah. made the money. It's fine. Oh, he's gone. All right, we just have to figure out a different way to make yeah. money. It's, oh, we still have the distillery and the, all the employees. We're good. Yeah. We're fine. Right. I mean, now, that's like uh, that's like one of my favorite foods, the Scotch egg. You know, Scottish fathers are surrounded by a thick rim of sausage that's deep fried. <laughs> yeah. so you just can't really yeah. connect with that. Can't get through the crust. <laughs> yeah. Now, uh, unfortunately for Douglas, though, uh, his mother does not last much longer. Less than a year later, she dies from a stroke. Uh, Douglas is still away at school. This time he is cramming to learn Greek well enough so that he can get into either Oxford or Cambridge, which is the the final step in becoming a capital G gentleman. (laughs) Uh, But the loss of his mother, that would actually greatly affect Douglas and many of the other kids. Um, She'd been the guidepost in his life. She was deeply religious and impressed that upon all of her children. So Douglas kind of clung to his older sister, Henrietta, as almost like a surrogate mother figure. Now, she's like 15 years older than him. I think by this point, she's already married. So she is going to become one of his closest confidants his whole entire life. They would write to each other basically daily, even throughout World War I. The person he's writing most is her and then his future wife that we'll meet later. Oh, wow. Um, Henrietta uh, was married uh, with no kids. She never would have children. She was also a medium. So throughout her letters to Douglas Haig, she would constantly mention the dead spirits of their parents and other figures that they knew uh, who were just like passing along messages to Douglas. Can we get away from these people? No, for, like, we can't. We're, if you're in the 19th century, you cannot get away from these yeah. people. Jesus Christ. Dude, this is, uh, you know, we just talked about it. These are professionals. This is on their LinkedIn. Medium. Yeah. Everyone's got to have one. It's like a nanny. Yeah. Got to talk to ghosts. So, like, it's crazy sure also because cool. like. They're super Scottish Presbyterian, like very, very religious. And it just is totally normal for them to also go to seances and talk to their dead relatives. It's like usually you'd think like, oh, if they're really spiritual, like medium wise, they're probably not religious. It's just like these people are both. Yeah. And it's his mother, too. His mother was also a medium who like loved talking. Let's just say the Protestants need to have their fun, too. The Catholics already talked to fucking eat zombie you know, <laughs> yeah, flesh and all that shit. are already cannibals. Protestants so. like, need to have fun. You know, come on. Did, did his sister actually hold seances? Yeah. Okay, so she. Did someone here presents someone who would wear a kilt? <laughs> Does that mean anything to you? <laughs> 
I see a short little Frenchman. He's talking to you, Douglas. He likes whiskey. Uh, <laughs> yeah. He probably died of alcoholism. Let's <laughs> <laughs> go to the checklist. Yeah. Yeah. yeah very you can really easy. use a drink if you can yeah. pass one through. Just very use that easy. Closet to, there. Very easy to read an audience in Scotland. Yeah. <laughs> so Douglas's panic studying of Greek pays off. Um, he, despite being an underperforming student, he is able to get into Oxford University. Did he get a scholarship in like dressage or something to get in? Is I think the works? scholarship was here's a lot of money from me. Yeah. <laughs> Let me into your school. Yeah, um, that makes the most sense. Yeah. So Dougie, he's 18, I think, at this point. Um, and basically, he's just a very unremarkable upper class Victorian orphan. Um, there is nothing to indicate what's coming in the future. So it's 1880. Haig is at Brazenose College at Oxford. So Oxford obviously has all these like small little colleges mm-hmm. that make up the university. Brazenose is the least demanding of all of the colleges at Damn. the university. I've never heard of that one. I've heard yeah. of Trinity. I've heard of all these other ones. Never yeah, heard of it's the easiest one. Okay. Honestly, this is the first time I've even heard of that. Yeah. But um, but who cares? You yeah. you still he's yeah. in. He's in. Yeah, I graduated from Oxford. Yeah. Um, he would recall his time at Oxford as uh, some of the happiest in his life. I think based off what's coming, it would easy, be easy to say that this is like the happiest moment he is in his life. On his wedding day, he actually brings his wife to his old college and kind of shows her his old stomping grounds. So he really likes his time here. <laughs> now, he didn't really need to study, though, because not only is he going to the easiest college at Oxford, he's also pursuing a past degree in French. So it's not even like you weren't, he's just, he's, his whole major is pass fail French. That's it? That's it. What? Jesus. <laughs> and apparently, so this is in the 1880s, the requirements of that ne- uh, then are the equivalent of American AP classes now or the British A levels for French. So like if you took an a- AP French class yeah. within the last 10 years, you could have gone to Oxford University in 1880 if you were a white man. But, Dude. Yeah. But that's how education was until yeah. the last, you know, 50 years or so. Now it's <laughs> yeah. like the academic academics are fucking nuts. But like when Abraham Lincoln decided to become a lawyer, like two all of two. us, all four yeah. of us, we're all idiots. We're all qualified. We could have done that. We could have oh, yeah. passed the Indiana bar then. <laughs> three, yeah. three months of like, do you read? Do you understand some basic <laughs> concepts? Yeah. So, yeah. So he's taking <laughs> pass fail French. Um, Amazing. And this allows Douglas to study the really important things at his time at Oxford. Fox hunting, cricket, drinking games, gambling, or most dear to Haig's heart is polo. Polo is his favorite. So a good time. What happened to pussy? Oh, we'll get to that. We'll get to that. Yeah, he's too busy. He's studying. This is a hard course. Yeah, he's French. got a Oxford, lot of studying. Oxford gentleman he's, with a G. Guys, he's talking to his horse in French. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> guys, I have school tomorrow and I have to pass. <laughs> he's eating a baguette. Well, just bonjour. Show me pas croissant. Tom, actually, that was perfect because the next paragraph is going to talk about that. Good. So one of his tutors at the time is a man named Walter Pater who is a leading art and literary critic, most likely a repressed gay man at this time, which brings us to the question of Haig's sexuality. Some people assert that he was gay and closeted, others that he was straight. Uh, This is what the book I read had to say about it. Quote, There is nothing in the Haig archives to show that he endured inner turmoil regarding his sexuality. 
Indeed, there is no evidence, even after his marriage, that he had any sexual feelings whatsoever apart from the existence of his four children. Oh, so he had so, sex at least four times. He's yeah, at <laughs> least, and maybe just the four. Like yeah. he's and either maybe... asexual and doesn't know what that word is, or is like so Victorian that he never mentions it to any, never mentions any of his sexual desires to anyone other than his wife. He's just pitching. That's all he's doing. What do you mean he's pitching? He might be receiving. He might be receiving too. Yeah. He might just be standing in a closet masturbating. That's it. <laughs> I mean, he could just be like, ew, I do not want to talk about the squishy, squishy, bang, bang times. He's Scottish. Do that again? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Ew, I don't want to talk about that. <laughs> That's good. Donkey. I don't need fucking... I don't I'll go, like it. I'll go with my left team. hand. <laughs> I had my first girlfriend. I got me haggis. I got hit of my first girlfriend. Yeah, the great that. thing about Scotland, they have a fleshlight built into their culture. The it's haggis. called the haggis, yeah. 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 Cultural flashlights. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> So, uh, Higgs, you know, just kind of going through life, going to Oxford, um, focusing on polo more than anything. And also, he's still trying to climb that social ladder that's ever important to him. So, he's like, he's using Oxford as a way to, like, you know, brush elbows with other rich British people. people. Yeah. Okay. Um, in 1882, though, we see in his diaries that it becomes clear he is determined to join the army when he is done with school. Um, there are a few different theories for this. Some is that he just craved, like, the the structure of the army, you know, like just like being in a place where it's like very clear who is superior to the others, Sure. which I think that's probably most likely. And then also the fact that it's the easiest way to climb the social ladder is just keep getting promoted as a officer. That's true. Yeah. Um, let me a brigadier. Yeah. So <laughs> he's not just going to join the army, you know, that's for poor people. He needs to go to, to the Royal military Academy at Sandhurst. Uh, he's 22 at this time which is the upper age limit for entry to Sandhurst. So he's once again cramming to try and study to get into the school. Right, and this is also uh, kind of, this is also the time when you buy commissions still, right? You just... It's right before oh, that ends. That so ends? Like it ends, I think, when he's at Sandhurst. Okay. Um, yeah, because it's oh. like 1886, I think, is when they, they cut that out. Oh, oh I'd okay. be so pissed if that's how my whole society ran itself. Yeah. And it was just like, this is normal. I'm just going to go to this dumbass school, get some of that daddy drunk yeah. money, get myself to be a general. And all of a sudden they go, <laughs> no, nah. you have to show up. <laughs> you have to do the work. <laughs> Sorry. And he's just like, uh, suck my blue. <laughs> <laughs> There's that French degree yeah. paying off. Yeah. It's like, excuse me, this is Scotland. Yeah, <laughs> shut your fucking mouth. <laughs> so Hegel only has one chance at getting into the school. If he does, if he fails his exam, he's out because he's going to be too old. He does get in. Um, you know, some people say that's a real sad mistake for a million British men that are down the line. But Oops. he gets in. Oh, so he joins the school in February of 1884, and this is when he finally starts taking school seriously because he kind of finally sees a purpose to it rather than just. Learning Greek, I guess. Yeah. Uh, more importantly, though, his massive passive income that he has, thanks to the whiskey distillery, allows him to climb the social ladder and distinguish himself. Um, he'd always been a kind of a aloof figure. Even as a kid, it didn't seem like he had any close friends. I think a big part of that is that he's always comparing his wealth, his wealth to others. So he's like never letting anyone get too close to him. He almost, it's like he sees every relationship as just they an exchange. Money. 
Oh, not yeah. even that. But it's like, what can you do for me, and what are you going to get out of it? Or like, what can oh, I do for you, and then what will in, I get? There's always something. Yeah, in it's in like her. always like social currency rather than just like, oh, we like hanging out. But that's okay. I ah, sure. Honestly, <laughs> it doesn't matter. It's not like he's like going to be responsible for the deaths of millions. Right. It's, like, it's not yeah, like he's going to be in charge of like 10 million men at, uh, in the yeah. worst war of all time. But yeah, like, sure. it's the same thing. What, how much money do you have? What can I do for you? Versus I like people with almond color eyes. It's about the same thing with <laughs> yeah. this type of figure. <laughs> yeah. Um, now, one thing to note is that Sandhurst at the time didn't really teach any of its officers what it meant to be an officer or a soldier. It was like, oh, you can ride a horse. Good. Trussage. You, you look good in uniform. Good. good. Liberal arts college. Yeah. For You're done. Yeah. Here's it's like your... you had to learn a little bit of math, a little bit of like surveying, and then every other class is an elective. There's pottery. Yeah. yeah. So like artillery, <laughs> an elective. Rifling, an elective. Actually being a soldier, elective. I'd like to see some of these word problems that they have to do for basic math. <laughs> if you have 3,500 troops and each of them has a shopping cart filled with 13 apples and one of them removes one apple, it just continues like yeah. that for a and It's just like, which one are you going to shoot? Uh, can I use the bathroom? <laughs> I wrote the answers for you. So this is, like, this is like West Point if West Point was Chuck E. Cheese. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Like that. If West Point was like the tutorial level for modern warfare. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So after a year at school, uh, Haig is, advances out. He, you know, bad student, but apparently good there because he is first in his class of 129. Wow. And uh, Travis, so he's still able to buy a commission because I think it ends just after this. So he buys a commission as a lieutenant in the 7th Hussars Cavalry Regiment. <coughs> lieutenant, sir. Uh, oh, all right, lieutenant. That's what they, they call it, the lieutenant. <laughs> um, mm. The 7th were arguably the most prestigious and snobbish of all of the British Army regiments. Um, this is a quote about the 7th Hussars. They had established themselves at the forefront of British military snobberies, courting princes and the aristocracy and accepting as officers only those who are unquestionably gentlemen. So the it's pretty clear why Haig chose the seventh. Yeah. He's like, ah, it's the best. I'm the best. He's so like, I'm gonna wow, join the best. My, my nose is way too clean. I would like for it to be way brown. Brown, brown yeah. nose. <laughs> yeah. <sighs> I think we all, deep down, have a little of that in us. Yeah, I mean, everyone likes to eat ass. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah I wasn't going to say that. <laughs> That's what you're implying. Yeah. <laughs> so Haig is now a junior officer in the British <laughs> Army. Uh, this is the 1880s, British Empire. Not really much going on for the junior officers. At the time, this is what they wrote about what's expected of them. Quote, his task was to lead by example, and if sufficiently junior, to g die gallantly if required. Oh, oh yeah. The option. Yeah, yeah. You know, I got to it's like lead by example, and if you're gonna, you gotta die like a hero. So okay. yeah. stand up and blow your whistle and run with your sword at the machine gun. Yeah. So, um, what year is it now? It's eighteen eighty-eighty-five. All right. So, what wars are on the horizon? Because the Great War 
we don't know about yet. They we don't, don't know. know. That's the wars that the British it. Army are fighting right now is in South Africa. Yeah, so it's like territorial. Like, it's territorial wars right. where it's like an a regiment of three hundred British soldiers valiantly defeated an army of thirty five thousand men at coming at them <laughs> because the thirty five thousand men had spears and the British had four machine guns. Right. So die valiantly. Yeah. <laughs> while you slaughter indiscriminate thousands. Yes. yes. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. This is right around. This is right around Zulu, right? Around that time period? Yeah, so we're going to get to... Uh, today we'll talk about some of the wars he does fight uh, okay, in. Okay, all right, cool. Yeah. Um, so he's in camp life in England, but he has little time to get accustomed there because the 7th Hussars are soon boarding the ship Euphrates, bound for India in November of 1886. Um, so despite not knowing any of the local languages... Haig takes to his work in India with vigor. He likes being outside. He likes the active lifestyle. So much better for him than being behind a desk at this point. It's just like the landscapers. They come here. They love the, li the active lifestyle. They don't really need to get into the language. They yeah. have their own culture. They, they have can, friends they there. It's fine. Slide on down. Yeah, it's it's exactly the same. It's exactly the same. Yeah. So this is like, he's like the opposite of when Richard Burton goes to India. Or Richard's yeah, like, exactly. I need to learn every language ever. <laughs> Burton would have fucking hated Hague. Yeah. You have God. to respect. Yeah, he he he's uh, what, what was his, Burton's uh, en enemy when they were speak. Oh, uh, speak, speak, speak. Yeah, he <laughs> reminds me of a speak. Yeah, a he does like kind the gentlemanliness of this. Yeah. Capital G. Yeah. yeah, capital speak. So after uh, about eighteen months in India, he gets a promotion. Now he is a regimental adjutant. I have no fucking clue what that means. Adjutant. Uh, what it does, though, is now he is in charge of the administrative work for an entire regiment. Um, and this is where he kind of requires a re reputation as like a real not go getter, but like just someone who's really good at giving him the task and getting it done. So like he's kind of like an he's, automaton. He's diligent. Like just, yeah, diligent. Yeah, yeah, that's a good way to put it. Right. So he's spending a few years in the city of Secunderabad, which is the largest British military base in southern India. Uh, but at this time, India is very calm. There's no big rebellions. I think the Sepoy Rebellion had been put down like 10 years before this. So there's not much for him to do except, you know, ride around on his horse. Just hang out and play chill. Play polo. Yeah. And what fox hunting. Whatever name you just said, that's probably not anywhere close to what it's called nowadays. No, probably <laughs> not at all. <laughs> yeah. uh, now, Haig spends most of his time there, like I said, uh, playing polo, socializing. He has fevers many times, so he, a lot of his time in India is spent recovering from a fever before he goes and plays polo and gets another fever. <laughs> oh, horse fever. This Ganges is just like me dad's water fountain. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's just as spicy as whiskey. It's too hot here. <laughs> but it doesn't do nothing except give me a bellyache for shits for months. <laughs> uh, so in 1891, he gets a promotion. He is now a captain. Uh, it's a fairly straightforward move for any officer that had a lot of money. The issue for Haig, though, is that because he was late in attending Sandhurst, he is about five years older than most other captains. So he's this old. kind of will follow him for most of his life is because he entered Sandhurst late, he's always older than his contemporaries. So yeah. that kind of plays into his social paranoia where he's like, no, but I'm better than you, so... Let me be better than you. Yeah, you, you're better because you basically got left back. Yeah. yeah. So you're stronger. You could buy beer before us. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it's like uh, the um, reason why it's called super senior, bro. Because I'm extra senior. It's awesome because I have my dad's minivan. 
<laughs> he let Y'all me put, are still juniors. That's still like the bus. He let me put rims and flames on it. It's sick. <laughs> <laughs> got to take them off every time we go home. Yeah. <laughs> I got magnetic ones. Throw them in my Cheaper that way. Cheaper. Yeah. <laughs> now... Haig's been in India for a couple of years, um, and he kind of has just, like, this listlessness about him. Like, he's a good officer, he's doing his job, but, again, he's a little bit behind where he should be, and there's no clear direction for him at this time. He's earning minor promotions here and there. Um, He gets chosen for various, like, training exercises, but he wants more. He (laughs) wants something better. So he decides to apply for a posting at the Staff College at Camberley in 1893. Now, the staff college is used to teach officers the more administrative roles of the army. So this is less about, like, learning how to assault a machine gun nest and more padding. Yeah, but, like, how do you feed an army in the field? Like, that type of stuff. Like, the actual, like, boring shit that determines the outcomes of wars. The home ec of war. The home ec of war. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Logistics and supply chain, sir. The real real, uh, heroes of our glorious army. It's like, well, I forget if it was, was it Napoleon? Napoleon, I think, said, um, like, amateurs study tactics, professionals study logistics. So, like, this is, like, studying logistics, learning how to be a staff officer. Sure, you may have gotten all the guys a bunch of ramen noodles in their backpack. Where's the hot water? (laughs) Where's the the packet? You want them eating plain noodles? Yeah. (laughs) Yes. You guys are fucking up. Yeah. Yeah, Why are you feeding them craft when you can get Top Robin? It's at least 30 cents cheaper. (laughs) True. Uh, so those that graduated from the staff college also had a much better chance of securing uh, not just promotions, but command positions. So like getting being like becoming vice governors, becoming um, army commanders, those types of things. And that's what Haig wants. So Haig takes all the entry exams and surprise, surprise, he fails the maths oh. aspect of it. Oh, that's hard. Now, all of the I other aspects, math. he did well enough to earn consideration, um, but he was still informed that, no, you're not going to be allowed to attend. Now, Haig appeals this, um, as well as a few others in this class. They say that, um, well, 31% of the applicants that year failed the math section, which is a disproportionately high number. So there's all these disputes that they made the test too hard that year. should be a curve. Do you think their math teachers Uh, were like, you're not always going to have an abacus on you? And then they came out with like a small (laughs) version of it that everyone had in their pocket all the time? I think it could have been more grisly. You're not going to always have like 10 fingers on your hands. (laughs) You might lose one in the field. That's why you got to learn to count on your toes. Every time I get to three, I kind of have to stump myself a bit because this one's got blown up from some, you know, we was having a good time. That's all I'm saying. I just remember a good time every time I get to number three. The old polo incident. Uh, that's not all Haig does. He also uh, appeals to his sister, Henrietta. Um, she had a lot of social connections at the staff college, and he's kind of like saying, like, you know, get me in, even though I failed. It um, doesn't really work. Um, he does not get accepted to the staff college at this time, but he does get a consolation prize. He is recalled from India, and this is to serve as the aide-de-camp to the Inspector General of Cavalry, Lieutenant General Keith Frazier. Oh, a dog accident. <laughs> yeah, that was a dog ear flap. Oh, yeah. Damn. Careful, doll. Uh, <laughs> you just want the Doritos, don't you? Connor's getting <laughs> invaded right now. Yeah. There she goes. Now she's comfy. Um, so he's going back to England. He's serving as the aide-de-camp to one of the highest um, 
ranking British officers in Britain. So this is, you know, a, not what he wanted, but still a good uh, step in the right direction. Okay. So while he's there, uh, he has a chance to travel to Germany. Um, for those who know, it's coming. Well, probably, probably pretty weird that he meets all these guys. For those who don't know, stick around. <laughs> so he hangs around in Germany. He's observing German cavalry training and drilling. He thinks that they're extremely well-disciplined. He says that the first Ulan guards are the finest squadron I have ever seen. This, this is... He also... This, sorry, this is yeah. after Bismarck, right? During, During Bismarck. Bismarck. Bismarck's, okay. like, alive at this oh, point. okay. Yeah. Cool. He's still in power, I think. Um, he also got to meet Kaiser Wilhelm II on one occasion. Uh, I don't think he was Kaiser yet, but it's the future Kaiser Wilhelm. Um, and when he departed, he bought all these gifts for a bunch of German officers and said, like, man, I had such a fun time. I hope we always have a, a good relationship. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> this man yeah. brought us iron blue. What is this shit? <laughs> Hans, you must try the orange drink. It tastes like shit. <laughs> tastes like the like... iron cross. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I feel like if someone did not know German or Scottish and they heard us, they would think we were speaking the same language because it's very gross. <laughs> so the big thing with the this German trip and then also serving as the aide-de-camp to such a high-ranking officer, it allows Haig to rub shoulders with the upper crusts of the British military. So he's making connections all over the place that are going to serve him in life. Um, two of these figures is General Sir Evelyn Wood, the British Army's adjutant general, and then General John French. Um, they both kind of serve as mentors to Haig at this time, and there's theories that they are the reason that Haig is finally accepted into the Staff College in 1896. So now he finally got in. He's in the Staff College. Cool. So you said there were rumors about like him maybe doing the gut gut. Are these maybe the guys that are like spreading those rumors with the gut gut? Uh, not with a good, good, but uh, definitely like, hey, help me out. I'm rich. Oh, so like maybe finishing him off, <laughs> finishing him off every yeah. once in a while. Type gotcha. that, yeah, that type of thing. It's not that I like to suck dick, <laughs> but it's that I do suck dick <laughs> to make sure my dreams come true. My dad sucked dick. <laughs> I suck. I tell dick. him it's gonna cost them, and afterwards they break out their wallets, and I said. It's not money I'm after. <laughs> it's something else. Prestige. I want to be an officer of the British Army. I'm trying to climb military rank. Are you going to help me? I want more stripes on my lapel. Especially if you want to feel this mustache on top of your cock again. <laughs> he does have a nice mustache. Um, so, yeah, he's in the staff college in 1896. Now... It's when I first described it, it sounded like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. You get learn logistics. But a lot of Haig's contemporaries had less than glowing reviews of the staff college. Um, it required officers to go without pay for two years. So that meant mostly just the rich guys are going. Whoa. And one officer at the time, not uh, related to Haig, said this quote, What actually happened was that we sat at a few lectures, the good boys in the front row, the idle asleep in the back row. And heard what amounted to no more than the reading of some paragraphs of the regulation books, mostly out of date, and some pages of military history. There was a written marked exam at the end of the first year, but nobody regarded it seriously. So that's the staff college. That's my kind of college. Yeah, yeah that's like my that. college. My that's college. You just, you just show up college. and you pass. Yeah. yeah. 
Just make sure you're there, dude. You're there, yeah. show up. Yeah. That's all they care about. So Hig treats this school exactly like he had treated all the others, halfway applying himself, but way more focus spent on the social aspects of it. Man, so oh, I hate him. Connor, yeah, what you're telling me is this man is very <laughs> experienced, very knowledgeable in the military at this point. Oh, yeah, he knows all the military there is yeah. to know. So I'd be at the brothel if I was just doing it. I mean, I'm a fucking millionaire. So a lot of people <laughs> did in the military the back then. Oh, fuck. Yeah, he didn't even do that. Yeah. It's so annoying. He just wants to be that. friends with everyone. This is a fucking weirdo. Yeah. Um, <laughs> one classmate said that on their very first day, Haig apparently requested three days leave in order to go hunting with the Prince of Wales, mm. which is the future King Edward VII. Ooh. So that's the social circles Haig's running in. Did they let him go? Yes. Of course. <laughs> yeah. Because he probably had a lot of, gave him a lot of money. He got a lot of money. Yeah. Yeah. Um, some of his classmates said that if Haig saw value in an exercise or like an exam or anything like that, he would approach it with total concentration and determination and see it through to the end. But the moment he deemed something even slightly less than worth his time, he would do the ver- bare minimum required. So he's kind of like the, he makes snap judgments and is like, this is worth my effort or I'm not going to do shit about this. It's kind of like me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, one thing he did learn at the staff college was a strict adherence to the Napoleonic doctrine of war. Um, Napoleonic doctrine is basically like it was one with decisive military breakthroughs, high mobility is the key, and cavalry is like the breakthrough arm of the military. Yeah, you want to get fast. You need a beer? Uh, no, I'm good. Beer? Yeah, why not? Yeah. <laughs> so this is 1896. Uh, so... This is ignoring basically 80 years of military history that had happened at this point. Um, yeah. The American Civil War, the Franco-Prussian War, all of those wars had shown that's not true anymore. Machines determine the outcome of war. Yeah, there's uh, there's a lot changing. This. Yeah, a lot is changing. <laughs> yeah, marching in column, uh, just a big line of people like the French did. Yeah, yeah. You know. in, uh, in bright red pants yeah. and blue shirts and white gloves. I like it. I think it's smart. I think it's pageantry. I think it's something we miss. Uh, World War One definitely fucked it up, and I think it's because of the holes they dug. Yeah. Well, we'll <laughs> they should just walked on out there. Yeah. Boop, 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 I mean, stuff, the, way, yeah. the the numbers that I keep reading uh, coming out of the Ukraine, it sounds like Putin has been listening to uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, marching in column. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's just hiring too young of people. <laughs> so in eighteen ninety eight. He graduates the staff college. He is 36 years old. He is a just still only a captain in the British military. Damn. So he kind of realizes, well, shit. Um, my social loser. links are only going to carry me so far. I've kind of like topped out on where I'm going to get purely based off social status and money. He needs to seek out combat in order to really burnish his credentials. So where's the hot spot in the British Empire at the time? It's Sudan. And that's where we're going to next. The reason that the Sudan was the hot zone for the British Empire at this point is because a couple of years earlier, a guy known as the Mahdi, which is uh, an Islamic religious leader in the area, um, had basically led an uprising against not the British themselves, but like the government that was in power in this area that was friendly to the British. So it was like a protectorate kind of like this is when the empire is at its peak. So like even if they're not directly controlling it they've got friendly governors they have and like stuff. a trade thing going on yeah or something. yeah right. it's like 
Egypt in the 1880s was basically it was an independent nation mm-hmm. and the like ruler of Egypt though would only make decisions if the British like d- diplomat that he worked with said it was okay. So like that's kind of sure. how the empire is running at this point. Yeah, I mean that we we tried that with the Ayatollah Khomeini, yeah, exactly. Khomeini exactly. and that it's, always it always wins really great. well. Yeah. yeah. Sure. Yeah. Um now the Mahdi had like overthrown this government and he was leading an army that um, was known as the Dervishes. So this is where the whirling dervish comes from. Whirling dervishes. So these are the dervishes led by the Mahdi. They take over the capital uh, Khartoum in the, in the Sudan. They behead General Charles Gordon, the British officer who had been leading the British defense of the city, and set up their own little independent nation state in between British Egypt and British sub-Saharan Africa. So this is not good for the British Empire. Right. Yeah. Now, this conflict wouldn't be as well known as it is if not for two things. The uh, one is a battle that we're going to talk about. The other is the more long-term effect is that this war is where three British officers really come into their own, and these three British officers are going to dominate British history for the next like seventy years, because they are Douglas Haig, Herbert Kitchener, or uh, Horatio. No, Herbert Kitchener, and. Winston Churchill. Oh, shit. Yes. So the commander of the army is Herbert Kitchener. Winston Churchill is just like a young officer, kind of like Haig, but, you know, much younger than Haig, kind of going into his first combat role. And um, like Haig, this is also Haig's first taste of combat. So it's really important for what it means for these three men, less so everything else. (laughs) Okay. And we learned from your research on the Queen that uh, he is a very emotional man. Oh, yeah. Win- uh, Winston Winnie, Churchill. Yeah. Winston Churchill, so old the more I learn about him, the more I'm like, he's one of those, he's kind of like Alexander the Great in that he, from a very young age, is like, I'm going to be really famous and important because I, I am me, and that's just true. And then because of that, it almost became true. It's like a self-fulfilling prophecy of like, I'm going to be important, and then they become very important. You hear that, listeners? You just got to change your mindset. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> it's all about yeah. belief. You got to figure out and you, how you want to be important and then just do yeah. it. And you have to start doing intercrucial sex more often. Intercrucial. Isn't that we? Isn't that the term we've like, figured out? The thigh fucking? Oh, inter, oh. yeah. Intercural. I think it was curl. I forget. Curl. Yeah. Inter- inter- yeah, the, the thigh fucking. Sex. Yeah. I mean, that's yeah. not even that gay. <laughs> it's not that it's gay. It's not really no. that gay. No, it's just tickling the taint. Yeah, it's just enhanced masturbation. Everyone likes a little tickle. <laughs> just two. You can you can tickle as men. We can tickle each other and not be yeah. gay. Come on. Yeah, it just takes patience. <laughs> That's all. <laughs> now the reason Haig was here, um, he was brought on by Kitchener's staff at the recommendation of the aforementioned General Evelyn Wood. Um, Haig may also have been chosen because he was trusted by Wood to do a little spying on his fellow British officers. So Haig kind of was always writing letters back to Wood <clears throat> saying who's doing well, who's not doing well, who does he think is right, who do you think is wrong. He's kind of like a plant almost for Wood because Wood is a high ranking officer. So this is again back to like Haig's social currency like, oh, if I spy for him, I can get promotions. Sweet. So that's okay. what he's doing. Um, now, before he leaves, he also makes sure to stop over at the Prince of Wales' residence in Sandringham. Uh, once again, that's the future King Edward VII. He invited Haig and a few others um, that day. Most of them are royals. And one of them is the future King George V, who's going to be king during World War I. So again, Haig's rubbing shoulders with all the right people. That's um, good. 
importance of thigh fuck. Yeah. <laughs> Just tickling them. Well, so now shoulder and elbow fucking. Really? It's an advanced version of it. It had been updated since. What did we just lose Travis? He's all frozen. <laughs> he did. Him. I thought he was just judging your face. Yeah, you, you, <laughs> yeah. I thought you were being very judgmental, Travis. But we lost you for a <laughs> second. Yeah, you guys were were frozen on my end too. That's cool. I'm gonna leave that in. All right. <laughs> no edits. Yeah. Um. Now Edward was also kind of using Haig the same way Wood was, where he's like, "I want you to go, and I want you to write back to me what's going on in the front lines of the Sudan." So that's Haig's job is like go and report on the army to other people. Haig really loves it though. Um, despite the difficulties of the climate, he's really enjoying these aspects of like being an active soldier. Kind of, you know, tracks with his whole life. He doesn't like school, he doesn't like the formal stuff, but when he sees a task worth doing, he's gonna apply himself fully to it. He's also really comfortable the whole time he's on campaign because he's fabulously wealthy. <laughs> so, of course. That helps. Yeah. So he's, oh, yeah. he's allowed to pay for his own supplies to be shipped in. He has a team of servants helping him out. And, you know, pretty comfortable way to wage war, wouldn't you think? Yeah. Um, so he enjoying this kind of life. This is very much like the romantic pre-World War I adventure <clears throat> type of war where it's like you go and you camp out under the stars with your buddies and you march and formation and then you don't fight anyone because it's war before <laughs> world war one so have fun like do what you're you know if you're like boy scouts yeah it's all about like glory back then exactly you know yeah, yeah. uh finally Stop fighting in the mud and dying <laughs> You know, yeah, but it's these people, like, oh, you're going warfare. to, you're going to war. Uh, there's no way you're gonna die. Yeah, well, it's it's kind of fun. like tough guys today. You know, like they like. All right, so this is a point before World War One and all these like crazy chemical warfares and things like that that were really destroying people. It was like they civilized themselves to yeah. a point where the war is well very zipped up, tidy, easy, very low risk, mm -hmm. kind of like today. When you meet like a tough guy today or someone who spent time in the military today, they talk about like brothership, honor, things like this. It's just like you, you, you sat in a chair, you know, you did boot yeah. camp and you entered the chair force. <clears throat> yeah. You know, like, yeah, that's it. Like, there's none of that. We're like, it's like when soldiers say like, oh, the hardest part about war is the boredom. It's like, well, then you were in a good war. Like, yeah. You, did, <laughs> you were yeah. in a really good <laughs> war if the hardest part yeah. was the boredom. Guess what? Start fucking each other. Yeah. <laughs> Just the yeah, thighs. just watch, watch, watch Three Kings <laughs> yeah. about you know, and they just literally do nothing yeah. in the beginning of the movie. Um, however, finally on March twenty first, eighteen ninety eight, Haig comes under fire for the first time. Uh, the dervishes had ambushed his cavalry squadron. They kill eight men, uh, but Haig keeps his cool under fire. Uh, earns a small promotion for this. He is now a staff officer of the cavalry horse artillery brigade. Why do you get a promotion? Because he did well. You know, they get ambushed, but they're still able to fight them off. Oh, okay, um, okay. They save most of the men. A few die, but, you know, does well. Right, and also, just, just to be clear, this is, cavalry meant cavalry. Oh, yeah, they're riding around horses. On horses. Yeah. Maybe yeah, even camels, now we have cavalry. Sudan, yeah. yeah, now we have cavalry. It's not. Yeah. Know, <laughs> what do they call yeah, it now? Right. What is it? <laughs> ATVs? Well, it's air, air Cav. Oh, Air Cav. Cavalry yeah. is now, hella, like, all the old cavalry regiments and brigades are now, like, the current like attack helicopter brigades. It would be cool if it was like freak style, the video game where everyone had motorcycles. Oh, that would be sick. That <laughs> yeah. game was dope. I love that game. It's so cool. Like a 
like a Mad Max unit. Yeah, just like, <laughs> yeah. You could tell it's them even when they're not in uniform based on their tribal tattoos. <laughs> <laughs> that shit was, I, dude, I, that, dude. I remember playing it for hours, dude. Oh, dude, just doing so many sick tricks. Yeah. What a fucking game. Yeah. Anyway, that's, freestyle. that's what I wish the cavalry was today. Today. <laughs> <laughs> So over the coming months, Haig is going to actually come under fire a few more times. He's leading men in battle, um, and he's just, you know, displaying what you'd want out of a good officer. He's brave, he's calm under fire, ability to take command in hot situations, so he is given the rank of acting major. So when in an active combat zone, you can earn promotions that don't actually stick, so it's like we're in fire, under fire, here's all these, all these changes are happening, you don't have time to report to headquarters, you're a major now. And when you get back in peacetime, you might go back to being a captain. So it's like a battlefield promotion. Who knows if it'll stick? Mm, yeah. right. So not good for... He's like, all right, you know, I, it's good, but I need to make him, you know, permanent. I've had jobs like that before. <laughs> yeah, it's like your manager yeah, today. It's called, we fucking needed you. Four and people now, yeah, we're not gonna pay. Sick. And now we're cutting back. Yeah. You're laid off. Yeah, we're not going to pay you for the managerial role, <laughs> yeah. but you're a manager. You're a manager today. You're going to do all that shit. We're going to call you boss. Yeah. How's that sound? And then you're <laughs> fucked in a week and a half. How's that? Yeah, we'll give you a gold star on your paycheck. <laughs> yeah, right? It makes you feel better. Yeah. We'll give you a raise. We'll buy you celery sticks for lunch. Let's do it at the grocery store. Try to get me to, like, fucking uh, stay with them. And, like, next... Two years later, the whole place is out of business. Dude. Good thing you got out of there. You jumped that <laughs> ship. Just like, Stop going to college. Come here, work here full time. I was like, fuck no. <laughs> no, it's going to be awesome, dude. There's always, people always need ham and butter and shit like that. Yeah. So come on down. <laughs> That's true. The ham business is never going under. True. Nope. Um, so after one particular battle, uh, the Battle of Atbara, <clears throat> Haig is very critical of how the British press covered the event, and he's also very critical of his superior officer, Lord Kitchener, about his failure to properly utilize cavalry. Um, so he also, he's writing back to General Wood about all these issues he's seeing. Um, he also includes some very heavy racism. So he writes to Wood, quote, the weak point in my plan is that I calculated as if I had troops that can shoot and maneuver. It would be unwise to reply, rely upon the blacks doing either well. well so he's blaming uh, the troops under him because he's not doing well. That I have a problem with. The racism thing, we all know that that was very normal at the time. Like, our show is like going back into history and making fun of people. Yeah. But we also know how normal racism yeah, is. Yeah, like, so it was like, all right, that yeah. Was Haig racist by today's standards? Oh, yeah. By those standards, eh. It's like, like the no he was in the normal amount of it, racist? It doesn't matter. Yeah. He's yeah. passing the buck. Right. That's what He's we He's passing like. the buck. We yeah. don't like that. We don't yeah. like that. No. You have to be exceptionally racist back then. To be like, pointed like, out ooh, as like, ooh, whoa, you're weird, yeah. man. Like, or yeah. funny racist, like Burton. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um so now it's the summer of 1898. Um most of this time is spent regrouping and avoiding big battles cuz it's, you know, summer in the Sahara. Yeah. <laughs> you don't really fight yeah. wars at that point. And also the reason is because Kitchener is preparing for the big climactic battle, the assault on the city of Omdurman, which is across from the capital Khartoum. So if he can take Omdurman, Khartoum will surrender, and the war might come to an end because the Mahdi will be overthrown. And what's important there? Like, why do they want that? It's the capital. It's a crossroads. It controls the land around it. So it's like, and that's where all the main enemy forces are based. It's like a lot of bra bragging rights involved in this shit. Like, 
Kind of. Yeah. If, yeah. If you look back, like none of it actually makes that much sense. Well, it's just like the aren't the. The enemy army is there, so it's like they're all bottled up in one city. Came out of the, guess, if you can, right, I know, I but if you can take that city, it's over. Oh, no, but shit, guess, specifically, yeah. like Mike's question, what do they want? There's just like it's truly oh, just power, yeah. just power, yeah, Jeez. power for the city. And Mike, there's also there's also a lot of weapon skins in that city, so <laughs> yeah, they, yeah. They, oh, they took gems. it. A lot of real rare yeah. ones, yeah. <laughs> yeah. All, I think it's on the Nile, so it's part like a big part of trade. Um, and if they, I think if they control it, they also basically control the whole eastern chunk of Africa. So it's an easy communications point from like Egypt down to South Africa. Whatever. Let's not talk about British politics in the 1890s. It, it doesn't fare hey, well here. It doesn't, doesn't go well. I get mad. <laughs> Travis gets horny. Yeah. It's weird. Yeah. <laughs> I'm already got a chub right now. Oh, you do. <laughs> um, so in the buildup to Omdurman is also the first of what will be many, many times that Douglas Haig and Winston Churchill will butt heads. Now, both Haig and Churchill uh, were favored by General Wood, um, the guy that Haig was reporting back to. Wood also liked Churchill, so he's kind of like got two, you know, Wood almost like invested bo- in both of them. So he's like seeing who's going to come out on top. It's smart, though. Yeah. Yeah, I feel Wood would refer to Churchill as the chubby one, <laughs> and Haig was the illiterate one, <laughs> yeah, Scottish. Yeah, because yeah, Churchill <laughs> is kind of working as a writer at this time. Um, he's a journalist. He already has his eye towards politics. He's the reason he's here is because again, like I was saying, Churchill is like, well, I'm not going to die because I'm Winston fucking Churchill. So I, I can stand up in the middle of the gunfight and look around and be like, this is awesome, boys. Isn't this cool? Aren't we living (laughs) like something divine about that? Yeah. Yeah. Um, whereas Haig is like clearly just a career soldier out for promotions. So the stage is Is set more pay. I guess as he goes. No, yeah. not not even. Like, They're not for, for, for pay. him. It's not really about. It's not about the pay at all. He's loaded. He could never work if he wanted oh my to. Guys, like so much work. I'm yeah. just like, hanging out. This is what like. <laughs> That's why so many figures in history are like they come from money because mm-hmm. they're just insane yeah they have no like they don't have this concept of like having to work oh for shit it. i have i have to like make sure i pay a mortgage or whatever it is i have they, to pay, buy my food yeah right? exactly <laughs> they don't understand that so they just become crazy people yeah and it's great it's so much fun to watch themselves kill each other yeah. it, but there are some side effects there's bad ones. <laughs> they're coming <laughs> they're coming <laughs> yeah they're coming um so the stage is finally set for the climax of this bat, this war, um, Kitchener has roughly twenty thousand men under his control. Although it's probably only about like four thousand British soldiers, the rest are all Egyptian and Sudanese, and they are going against an army of about fifty to sixty thousand dervishes. So they, they are they got weapons. They got like the, guns. So the British and all of them are armed with like probably a Lee Enfield, which is like a bolt rifle. action. So it's like a good rifle, bolt action. They also have the Maxim machine gun, which is like the prototype machine yeah, pro- gun. Yeah, yeah. The dervishes have either like spears or flint like flintlock muskets. Oh, fuck. They also wear skirts. Yeah. Aerodynamic. <laughs> well, they could, but they have plus two mobility. They can whirl. Yeah, they got plus yeah. two. They have plus two mobility for a minus ten armor threshold. They like they just yeah. start spinning. <laughs> they can get behind. That's how you have to kill those things. You have to get behind. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Start... This was actually the inspiration for the Matrix. The whirling dervishes could just you know whirl away from all the Enfield. They're probably shots. very like athletic. All their soldiers and shit. Probably. They had to be. Dude. Yeah, it's a, it's a stamina um, game to whirl like that. And the, you know the, the, they're whirling around, and then the the British guys are like. It's kind of breezy over here now. <laughs> it's a breeze. So the way to counteract that, though, is just have 
10 machine gun nests. <laughs> sure, yeah. If you, aimed at these uh, guys. Yeah. Boy, bro. <laughs> because here's the... Are you trying to kill the breeze? <laughs> yeah. Are you trying to kill the yeah. Seagram's well, breeze? The, the, the Maxim guns provide their own sort of breeze. Right, true. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Fire a little hot, hotter air, yeah. but a little more intense wind. Yeah. It's about the movement. It's about moving air. You yeah. don't want to be sitting still in the Sudanese deserts. So the, the Battle of Look, the dervishes, the dervishes represent Dave Matthews Band, <laughs> and the Maxim Gun is Behemoth. Yeah. Oh, all right. Well, I guess they're all gay then. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so Churchill summarized this epic battle that's like it's always chosen as like the biggest battle of like this era of british imperialism is like this battle and then the one against the zulus about like 20 years before this um in this one here's how churchill described the whole battle quote it was a matter of machinery end quote because the machine guns just tear everyone to shreds um, the dervishes are attacking in wave attacks, and within about two hours of the battle starting, more than 20,000 of them are dead. Whoa! Damn. Yeah. Also, wave attacks, <clears throat> when you're like, you have machine guns, then, like, back then, they need to cool down a bit. Like, oh, they yeah. would do cartridges. Yeah, yeah. cartridges. Spray down, so it's just mm -hmm. like, we'll get them. What we'll do is we'll go, we'll give them 20-minute breaks. <laughs> yeah. so the cool, the yeah. guns cool down, and then we'll come. Then they won't even right back. It. And then the, yeah, Brit the British guy's just blowing on the guns, just like, they'll be here any minute yeah. now. <laughs> Make me right, some tea, bro. Yeah. yeah, it's literally like zombie mode in Call of Duty when it's like, you can restock all your ammo yeah. now for the next wave. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The weapon vein machines are open. Never do anything yeah. in waves, I suppose. If you're a general and you're yeah. listening to this, don't consider Unless waves. you're trying oh, to catch Charlie was listening. <laughs> It doesn't work too well. No. Um, so basically, they're just like charging over an open plane against a ridge that the British are on where they just have 10 to 20 machine gun nests. It's a massacre. What I, what I always never understood about that either is wouldn't you send the first guys and then you just see them get like mowed down in like a minute guys, and then be like, ah, you're asking I don't questions know. that are going to be coming up constantly. <laughs> yeah, right. But like, don't you think you would solve this problem in the first minute? Yeah. You th you'd think that, but no. Yeah. Um, so while all this is happening, Haig is spending most of the day um, basically doing like reconnaissance because it's it's you know it's seventy thousand people. It's a huge battlefield, so you can't see from one end to the other. Haig's in one part. He's observing. Um, his line isn't really threatened. They're kind of attacking somewhere else. Um, and in that somewhere else is Winston Churchill because Winston Churchill covers himself in glory when the 21st Lancers Regiment is ordered to cut off the Dervish retreat, and they charge in what is probably the last successful cavalry charge in all of human history. So this oh. is like a true take-out-your-swords, charge-down-the-retreating enemy, and slaughter them with blades. Wait, th but they're retreating, yeah. so it's like it's a half-victory. Well, it's like this is, a, this is how Alexander won his battles. It's like you cause them to break, and then you ride them down with cavalry. No, I understand yeah. that, but it's just Oh, they're like, already losing, yeah. The battle's know, like, over. Yeah. They gave up. Yeah. So we slaughtered them. Yeah, exactly. We, they, they, got, they were running home. So we killed them. <laughs> like, they were all going to be like, we're going to run back here, and become, we're going to yeah. get into the tech job. And <laughs> they're like looking at all like the bodies. It's like, wow, all of the cut wounds are in their backs. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So it, it, to me, it's a but it doesn't matter to me. I'm just this is my thought process. It's just like, well, now would be a good time to go kill some fucking dervishes. Come yeah. on. We're looking the other way. 
They've stopped whirling. There's a couple guys walking backwards. Yeah, exactly. A little wary. I think we can take them on. But the rest of them, they're looking that way. Uh, so Winston is right in the middle of all this action. He describes it as like one of the high points of his life. If you ever look up the Battle of Omdurman, you're going to see this one painting over and over again. And it's the 21st Lancers breaking through the Dervish's line. Um, it's this huge moment in British Imperial history. Everyone goes nuts back home. Um, all like three Victoria crosses are awarded to the 21st Lancers and Haig is fucking pissed because he was not part of it. Oh, this is like one of the most emotional moments of his life. He's like boiling with rage that he did not get to do any of this while Churchill, who he calls a dilettante would forever be associated with like this crowning moment of British imperialism. So pisses off Haig to no end that he was not involved. Well, you know, that's what he gets for being Scottish. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Old roly-poly <laughs> Churchill over there rolling down the head. I was ready. I could have killed guys who weren't looking at me. I could have killed lots of guys not looking at me. <laughs> but no, it just so happens to be the fat guys paying attention. Yeah. I was in my fucking camp practicing jerking off Lads with my legs. <laughs> uh, so the war would continue for a few months, but for all intents and purposes, it's over. I think the Mahdi either killed himself or was, was killed by someone else shortly after the battle. Good. Kitchener is a national hero. They're making stamps of his face. Everyone loves him. Everyone knows Churchill as this like young, plucky... Like, 20-year-old that everyone's like, ah, he writes those funny newspaper columns we all enjoy. And his mom's American. Wow, we love this guy. Young plucky. Yeah. That doesn't resonate now. No. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Kitchener is boasting that he conquered 1 million square miles at the cost of only 2 million pounds. Oh. Yeah. Um, Haig leaves shortly after the battle before the war ends. He is back in London by October 5th, 1898. When he returns, he is 37 years old. He's back to being a regimental captain, so that that major promotion did not stick. And he kind of feels like all his prospects are gone for achieving anything notable. Um, He gets assigned as a brigadier major um, by John French, curiously, right after he had loaned John French 2,500 pounds. Ah. Yeah. So, a loan is what some people would call it. It's like buying a naked uh, bribery. Like (laughs) the the DLC, or like you just buy like the add on. Yeah, it's, not, it's pay to doing win. All yeah. the work. He's doing pay to win. Yeah, pay yeah. to win. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's uh, Candy Crush life. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, another explanation for why he gave him this money is that it's just one Freemason helping out another because they are both Freemasons. Oh shit, Illuminati! Oh, yeah. nice. By the level in the square plane or whatever they yeah. say. <laughs> but really, this was Haig securing a position in French's coming uh, command in a war that was on the horizon in South Africa. So, South Africa at this time, um, there's all these reasons why this war that's going to be called the Second Boer War breaks out. It also is very easy to describe as the British Empire just wants more, so they're going to keep expanding. Sure. Yeah. Um, So, under French's command, Haig heads to Pretoria, um, to the Boer Republic in September of 1899. Uh, the first Boer War had been fought in 1880. It had led to the creation of what was called the South African Republic, which is part of Britain. And 20 years later, which is when Haig's there, uh, tensions between the Republic and... Uh, oh, I got that wrong. The South African Republic is not British-controlled. The Cape Colony is British-controlled. 
and the Cape Colony and the South African Republic are starting to fight, mostly because a bunch of gold was found. <laughs> of course. found a bunch of gold mines. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And it Dude, was like, I who love gets to the use shining. It? A big part of it was shining. like the British wanted to, they had the rights to mine the gold and they wanted to build a railroad to the mines and the South African said no. And so the British said, all right, we're going to just... You're going to regret that, you fucking idiots. You Dutch morons. Let us build a rail. (laughs) You stupid idiots. Watch this shit go over well. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, So the war is going to break out. Everyone's kind of waiting for it. Um, The Republic is buying all their weapons from Germany, um, which is not really helping the British-German relations at this time. Is Um, that Krupp? Oh, yeah. We have the Krupp people. Back to Krupp. Yeah, back to the Krupps. Yeah. If you don't know Krupp, if that doesn't mean anything to you, fuck you. Yeah, Krupp you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, Germany also has a whole bunch of different territories in Africa too, right? Yeah, they so got they're... like oh, they got like all the non-profitable parts. Yeah. <laughs> all yeah. the French and British <laughs> got all the rest. We just want some landscape. You know, we're trying to build roads. Yeah. We're trying to really cruise, you know? <laughs> Something that's fun to drive that you won't fall asleep at the wheel at, you know? Just need flat spaces. Yeah. Something with curves. <laughs> so there are, all, there are all these weird reasons why this is going to happen, but war is going to break out. The Boer, when it does, the Boers, um, I should say, the Boers are Dutch colonists that had been in South Africa for like 200 years. Um, they are super racist. They're the ones who do apartheid. Yeah. Uh, uh- they're like, no, they're super racist for the time. Also. Even, yeah. They're oh, like, yeah. whoa, dude. Yeah. They're like, whoa, guys, yeah. <laughs> relax. They're like, listen, we know, that, we know that can't shoot well, <laughs> but come on, man. Fucking be nice about it. Um, so while the, when, the Bo- when the war breaks out, uh, Haig and French are in the city of Ladysmith, and it e- immediately becomes uh, under siege. They literally get the last train out and hightail it out of there and are able to regroup with the rest of the army. And the Boers just inflict a string of humiliating defeats on the British, um, mostly because they're not fighting conventional war. They're fighting like a guerrilla campaign. Yeah. They're doing a lot of hit and run tactics where they'll uh. just like kill 30 guys and dip before like not even trying to take stuff. They're just trying to drain the British yeah, Empire yeah, yeah. bit by bit. Okay, good luck. Yeah. <laughs> he, he's back in his element. He loves this. He's it loves the adventure aspects of, you know, open maneuver warfare, camping out in the fields, looking at hills, going to the top of the hill, being like, that's a valley we should go check out. He loves that stuff. It's adventure. Yeah. I got to see a gray elephant. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know they're gray. I want to follow that Babylon brook to its source. <laughs> Mike, do you have an impression now? <laughs> We all, all three of us did really good ones of Scottish people. Do you have one in you? Get me a swamp donkey. That's good. <laughs> that is good. That is good. There you we'll go. Store it. It's good. Um, Fucking train spun. <laughs> part of um, the effect of like this, all these hit and run tactics that the Boers are doing, um, kind of drives Haig's belief that like cavalry and maneuver warfare is what. That's what how modern wars fought is like all about maneuverability, shifting the battlefield, hit and run stuff. And if you know what World War One's like, you know this doesn't go well because <laughs> that never happens. The Boers are also digging trenches, so we're starting to see trench warfare kind of crop up. The Boers use them in very different ways than what you'll see on the Western Front, though. Um, but Haig is very critical of the British Army. He keeps feeling like they're being let down by their leaders who Haig thinks are past their prime. 
he thinks he can do better, so he should get the promotions. In one letter to his sister, he wrote, I only hope that if I reach the age of decrepitude, that I'll have the sense to go and grow cabbages or do anything but clog the military machine with the antiquated fads of a past generation. <laughs> okay. I, I mean, that, that I agree with that. I agree I mean, with the like, sentiment, yeah. The cabbage part. Yeah, I yeah. agree with that. <laughs> so he I don't know, like, trenches? Well, I'm like, sometimes my mom is like, I don't, I don't know if I want to go to see a doctor that's like, you know, 27 or something. I just graduated. I was like, I'd rather see a doctor that just came out of medical school that knows like all the fucking new tactics than some old guy who's going to fucking tie a string around my tooth and close the door. You know, I came here because of a knee injury. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I barely graduated. Uh, (laughs) I remember graduating. Uh, have you tried cod liver oil? <laughs> <laughs> um, now, unlike the River War, which was the name of the war in Sudan, um, the Second Boer War also sees a lot more use of artillery fire. This is because, one, <clears throat> it's a harder conflict, so, you know, you can't just mow guys down with machine guns that have muskets if the other guys also have machine guns. Right. So we're starting to see more field artillery pieces. Um, Haig didn't really think much of them at the time. He wrote in a different letter to his sister, quote, The effect of artillery fire is chiefly morale. In our army, many have overestimated the power of shrapnel fire. So he thinks artillery is kind of useless. Oh, that's probably weird. very sloppy. Yeah, that real time. weird, especially what's coming. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Hmm. Very sloppy. Yeah. But, like, but like, they even knew the effectiveness of like good artillery like during like Napole- Napoleonic. Yeah, so he he's almost thinking like, well, now like machine guns have replaced like the field cannon. Like he's a big uh, fan of machine guns. Like there are some people who said like, oh, he didn't even he thought that they shouldn't be machine guns in modern war. It's like no, he liked machine gun fire. He just thought that that was replacing like the field cannon, and not right, not the eighty eight howitzer that's like three miles away. That's that actually replaced the field cannon. Oh yeah yeah. Um. So the situation changes in the Second Boer War in 1900 because Britain just pours in a fuck ton of troops, greatly increasing their numerical superiority, and they just kind of roll forward and are taking land quickly. Haig is promoted after assisting in the relief of the siege of the city of Kimberley. He is now in command of the 3rd Cavalry Brigade, and he holds a local rank of Brigadier General. So again, that's the local rank, so who knows if it'll stick, but he's getting pretty high up there. Shortly after this, though, the Boer resistance completely collapses. Britain occupies the city of Pretoria, and to many, it seems like the war is over. Not yet, because we said that they were doing guerrilla tactics before. Well, now they, like, crank that into overdrive. Okay. So how do you think the British responded to an insurgency that was breaking out in territory that they thought they controlled? Well, Sent more troops? Uh, no, there's already too many. They already got all the troops they need. So instead, they build a bunch of concentration camps for all the civilians in the area and start stuffing them into them. Oh, no way. (laughs) Burning crops, slaughtering livestock, burning down villages of everyone they find. Scorched earth. Scorched earth. We're not having it. You're not having it either, even though you were born here. Mm -hmm. My God. Yeah, and this is like the first case of concentration camps, This is where the phrase comes from, I think. Yeah. Really? Oh. (laughs) 
uh it's kitchener who's doing this he has been brought in um be- after like the initial defeats it's like well you got to bring back the hero of the sudan obviously he knows how to win a war and this is his solution is building concentration camps uh it is estimated that as many as 46,000 Boer civilians would be killed in the few years that they were under British control, mostly from starvation. I mean, 46, is, it's a lot, but, you know, they really get one-upped pretty... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> coming uh, soon. Yeah, coming, <laughs> coming soon. Yeah. yeah. A lot of the these two wars is, like, small scale of what's about to happen. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. We are... We're going to see some weird numbers. We're going to see some seven-figure numbers. We're going to are... see numbers that you just can't even fathom. Yeah. It's... <laughs> I, I mean, I also could imagine, like, people, like, in the, like, turn of the 20th century, late 19th century, being like, man, it's been a very violent century of Napoleonic wars, and things must have got so much better in the 20th century. <laughs> yeah. It's going to be so The new peaceful. century will be the, yeah. a dawn With of our new machines. civilization. Hopefully we'll be able to talk to each other and put aside our differences. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, so... Again, also most of those civilians are women and children because the women and children would get sent to concentration camps. The men were just shot in the street as they were found. Oh, brutal. Um, The British would use the... They were very aware of the horrific conditions of these camps because they used it in their negotiations with the Boers to end the war. Basically, they were saying, well, we have all your women and children in these camps, so don't you want to make peace? Because what, what are we going to do right, if you say no? Like, well, look, I mean, it's just camp. How bad could it be? Yeah. It's bad. <laughs> it's not summer camp. <laughs> it turns out there's those slides bad. there. Yeah. <laughs> the, the splishy splash. We've never we got a talent term. show tomorrow. You should come down. We've never heard the term <laughs> concentration <laughs> camp. Well, you don't want to know. <laughs> those Sloppy Joe yeah. Wednesdays? Yeah. No, there's just one guy named Sloppy Joe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Fuck shit up. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so it's not a stretch to basically say that the British policy is, like, do genocide until they surrender. And well, they do. That's terrible. In May 1902, the Treaty of uh, Vereniging is signed, and all of the South African republics are now British Empire territory. Well done, Britain. Okay, well there you done. go. How you all like right. that, Travis? That's You've your got team. got South Africa. That's your team. That's fucking God save the queen and all that <laughs> shit. Well, you know what? <laughs> go forward. Go forward. Another hundred years, you're gonna, they're going to be cheating down there with men that don't have legs, and they can run faster than everyone else. And oh. kill their girlfriends. And then kill their girlfriends. <laughs> yep. Come on. He put his guy. girlfriend in a concentration camp of bullets. <laughs> Who cares about, like... I, well, the thing is, is that that guy... I don't want to get to him that much, but he was a cyborg. Can you even try yeah. a cyborg? That's right. Well, that's why they took his legs <laughs> off. true. So yeah. He was back to being a human. Oh, okay, yeah. yeah. It's like, yeah. he's too advanced. The $600,000 man. <laughs> so, Haig returns to England in 1903. Um, this He'd been in the field for three years. And finally, his star is rising. Um, he had done well in uh, in the Boer War. He was pen pals with King Edward VII because he's finally king now the whole time. So he was really likes him. Um, but the whole British victory, as we kind of saw, was not very convincing. They lost a bunch in the beginning. They only won once they brought like a huge numerical superiority. And even then, they had to take women and children as literal hostages in order to stop the fighting. 
It's not good looks, Britain. Yeah. So it's around this time when the British or this the German Chancellor Bismarck, um, there was a war game in Germany and they were saying like, you know, how do we beat the French if the British are on their side? And someone brought up to him like, well, sir, what if the British use their navy to land the army like in northern Germany? And Bismarck's response is, well, I'll just send the police out to have them arrested because <laughs> that's how shitty they are. OK, yeah, <laughs> makes sense. Yeah. Um, even the French general staff at this time didn't believe they could count on the British in a land war any more than they could count on Switzerland. So that's oh. really kind of shows the reputation of the British army. Really? Yeah. yeah. Interesting. Yeah. The Navy, obviously the greatest Navy in the world. No one can even come close. The army is very small. It's only about 20,000 dudes. Oh. And they're just like, oh, they're terrible. They can't even beat the Dutch farmers in South Africa. So. Yeah. Look at that Winston boy. You just, I mean, you can get them to come to Europe. You just need to lay a whole bunch of cake down. And Winston <laughs> will come running. Yeah. Trust me. Oh, my piggy little boy. He's coming. <laughs> <laughs> so as a result of this, uh, the British army is aware of their shortcomings. So they set up what is called the Elgin Commission um, that's going to review the army and offer a bunch of reforms that it should undertake. Now, they kind of know that there's probably going to be a war sometimes in the next 10 to 30 years where Britain and France are on one side and Germany is on the other. It's kind of obvious to everyone by 1903 that this is coming. So the British is like, we're very unprepared. We need to step it up. Um, so Haig is actually part of this commission because he's one of the rising stars. Everyone kind of likes him. Everyone knows him. Mm -hmm. So... He's like, yeah, we need to reorganize, uh, better organize. However, he's still stuck with his vision of cavalry and open maneuver warfare as being the be-all and end-all. He still believes in 1903 that the um, lance is still a useful part of a cavalryman's kit. <laughs> Dude, well, what am I going to do without my lance? <laughs> What the hell am I going to do without that shit? What else? Is it? You it need a cool. six-foot-long spear if you're going to be in the cavalry. I may not use it all the time, but come on, man. got to take me seriously if i got lance on me. i got to glue it to my horse. <laughs> <laughs> By this point, we had very early cars, right? Like, yeah. The Bright so, Brothers had just flown. <laughs> yeah. So, that I mean, he... Shit. Yeah, and he's, he's like, nah, horse boys, that's the way of the future. We're going to get on <laughs> horsemen. And then maybe yeah. we could just maybe we can talk to the German scientists because you know they're good at like fucking with humans and make centaurs. <laughs> yeah, he, <Sure>. so he <laughs> he's like really tied into cavalry and this idea, but he isn't advocating for like oh we need like spear charges. He still thinks it's be a useful part of the kit, but he's his main thing is like no, it's like hit and run. Like you you gallop your horse to the hill, you st get off the horse, you shoot the guys, and then you get back on your horse and f ride away. What is this fucking Star Wars? Yeah, that's <laughs> fucking out of your mind. He's like a Tuscan Raider. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you gotta run over there and hide behind a rock. Yeah, I hope they don't shoot the fucking horse in the head. <laughs> so when the Elgin Commission finally wraps up. Um, the main outcome is a complete overhaul of the army's command structure. So they abolish the position of commander in chief. Instead, they form a general staff and they fire a shit ton of officials in the war office. So basically they do exactly what Haig said. They clear out the old generation, reorganize the structure and put in the new generation. That's going to take command. Um, Haig gets his next assignment shortly after this. 
and it's a big promotion. This is July 1903. Haig is chosen to be the Inspector General of the entire Cavalry of India. That sounds fancy. Yeah. Not his first choice, uh, but it still is an excellent position. He is a colonel at this point, and this is a job usually reserved for major generals, so now he's not only getting the promotions that he wants, he's actually outperforming his rank, basically. Nice. And so in 1903, Haig is heading to India to head up um, all of the cavalry in India. And that's where we're going to leave it for today. Oh, oh shit. On, on, on a boat to India. I think he should just like you know just go on vacation forever, but that's just me. A lot of people would have been much happier if he did that, but he didn't. Uh, Millions uh, of lives. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm just going to make a lot of money. Fuck, dude. Yeah, that's how I feel too. I'm like an idiot. Yeah. So dude. I'm thinking ne- next episode we're going to be talking about the birth of Bollywood, right? Because he sails over to India and starts Bollywood. Yeah, he shows, he shows people how to dance. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Shows guys how to do sick action moves that don't yeah. don't apply to physics. Uh, well, physics, physics. God bless him. Yeah, yeah. It's way <laughs> down there, man. Who gives a shit? Yeah, we're physics, around. Physics and Indian physics, totally different. <laughs> Once you cross that border into India, physics are all different. Physics do not apply. Yeah, yeah. That's why I like those people. Made their own rules. Stuck to them. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. All right. Thanks for listening to uh, Roast Mortem. It's the show that provides no boredom. It's only fun history, mm-hmm. uh, especially if you're listening to the. I'm trying to make this work on the fly. Thanks, Thinking man. a lot about freestyle rapping. Ah, oh so yeah, it's kind of like akin to that. <laughs> you're a freestyler now. I, I'm close. What's your name? Um, I don't know. That's a good, that's a good name. name. That's a good name. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Well, I haven't thought of that yet. But either way, uh, sincerely. <laughs> You've made it to the end of this episode. You belong here. Yes, you, you belong did it. here. Yeah. You know what? You that, did it. Let's start the show. Gold star. Let's end the show. <laughs> yep. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, go to patreon.com slash roastmortemcast. Oh, yeah, 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 give, give, give Mike that, some money. Yeah. Please. Mike said over 40 words this episode. I think that deserves <laughs> at least $40 from each of you listening uh, a month yeah. forever. Do that's my right. part. That's right. And, uh, <laughs> that's fine. You know, if you want to be cheap, that's on you. You're a cheap person that reflects uh, reflects our friendship. That's at least another twelve more words. So yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Think about that. Um, That's it. Go on vacation if you can. That's my final advice. Go on vacation. If you go on vacation, if you have tons of money from a family business and you have to work ever again, don't become a general. Instead, go on vacation. Go on vacation forever. Yeah, go on vacation. Sit in the sand. Lay in the sand. Especially that time, really. Yeah, I'm going everywhere. Lay in the sand naked. Start eating the sand until you're full, and that's what you should do. Nice. Sand, it's drink the salt water too to wash it down. <laughs> yeah. I know a lot of our listeners are multi-billionaires, so yeah, if you are, uh, um, let's be friends. Hit <laughs> yeah. up Mike. Hit up Mike. Yeah, the new craze, sandy. Or give me Trust like me, ten thousand dollars. <laughs> yeah, one or the other. Your friend. <laughs> All right, thank you, Shane. Dankers. If you guys want to make a lot of money, let's bet on CS:GO. <laughs> what, pro, pro games, bro. Big money. All right. I'll make us millions. I just bleed that.